Welcome back to the Farmland Riches Podcast, where we sit down with leading minds in the agricultural investing space to discuss upcoming trends that are impacting the industry. In this episode, we are joined by David Chan, the COO and founding team member of Farm Together. Farm Together is a crowdfunding platform that simplifies the sourcing and underwriting of farmland at scale. With lower fees and minimums, they're providing more accessibility to the farmland asset class to a greater number of investors. So in this episode, we'll be chatting with David about the biggest myths that he sees in the farmland investing space and some of the biggest new developments that he sees emerging on the horizon for farmland investors. So now let's hop into the conversation. All right, David, welcome to the Farmland Riches podcast. How are you doing today? Hey, Apple. Good to be with you. I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing well, can't complain, life is good. So uh, David, for the listeners that aren't familiar with uh, who you are and kind of what you're working on at Farm Together, can you give the audience kind of a brief intro, maybe like 60 to 90 second elevator pitch as to what you're up to right now? Absolutely, Um, so again, my name is David Chan. I'm the Chief Operating Officer and a member of the founding team at Farm Together. Uh, At Farm Together, we're trying to make farmland an accessible asset class to retail investors. Um, So farmland historically has been an uncorrelated asset class that's been a strong inflation hedge. Like real estate, it offers both income returns and appreciation uh, returns. Um, And we just see it as a tremendous asset class, uh, one that has potential for not only strong financial returns, but also truly impactful returns. If you think about farmland, um, just by virtue of the fact that it's outside, it's so intertwined and ingrained with environmental, social, and governance uh, metrics, um, such as soil conservation, water quality, um, fair labor, um, and, and many others. And so we just see this as, um, you know, uh, just an absolutely wonderful asset class. We think that the reason more retail investors have not had exposure to it is simply because it's very difficult to access prior to the advent of crowdfunding. If you think about, um, you know, the average value of a farm in the United States, probably close to a million dollars. And so if someone is looking to allocate, you know, say 10% of their investment portfolio to farmland, a million dollars is a pretty significant chunk of change. And also you need to, um, in theory, have some expertise of farming or at least uh, know where to find an operating partner who does, um, which alone can be a full-time job. And so um, we leverage crowdfunding to make that process simpler and easier for retail investors. Um, our deals have a minimum investment of $15,000 and they're totally passive investments for our investors. And so um, we you know, take on the, the work of finding operating partners, finding tenants um, and ensuring that the farms are being managed properly. The investors um, get the benefit of having farmland in their portfolio. Awesome. Yeah, there's a lot in there that I want to dive into. But yeah, I mean, farmland or crowdfunding rather has really revolutionized the way that, that farmland investing works. Because like you mentioned, I mean, that, that upfront investment and, and just like the work required to actually like own and, and operate or find someone to operate a farm for you has been pretty prohibitive over the last couple of decades. So um, it's really cool to see so many platforms coming on the scene. Now, I'm curious, when did farmland kind of first come on your radar as even an investable asset class? Because a lot of people out there don't even really realize that farmland is something they could invest in. They know that farmers own land, but they don't really put the two things together and think that, oh, that's actually could be an investment vehicle. So when did that realization kind of hit you? So for me, I have um, a a kind of a funny circular story on how I am in this field. Um, So I grew up in upstate New York, apple country. Um, My first job was uh, on an apple orchard um, when I was a a young kid. Um, 
And I never thought that I would, you know, be back in that industry. Um, and uh, I went to college for atmospheric science. My lifelong passion was, was always meteorology. Uh, and then that evolved into climate science and climate change research. Um, and I thought I was going to get a PhD and, and, you know, be an academic working on climate change. Um, and while in undergrad, I was reading research that had already been written, produced and, and analyzed um, by climate scientists and we realized we already know so much about what we need to know. Um, we need folks out there taking this information and doing something with it and, and changing the way we um, run our industries and hopefully, you know, mitigating and, and changing our trajectory. Um, so then the question became, what industry, what law, business. Um, ultimately, I thought um, investing was a very interesting um, uh, field of work because investors, I think, really can change uh, the world in ways that few can. Um, the ability, you know, once you're an owner of a company or an asset, your ability to dictate how that asset is performing and um, what operations mean and entail, um, obviously can have both positive or negative consequences for the surrounding environment and community. Um, and so that sort of led me look, to look at investing. And then the question became, okay, invest in what? What industry? Um, and so I found agriculture to be an industry that is really uniquely uh, influenced and impacted by climate change and one that also can impact uh, climate. Um, so, of course, you know, the way temperatures change, the way precipitation patterns change will ultimately change where we grow, what we grow today. Um, and similarly, if we are operating our farms in a, um, in a destructive way where we're, you know, really taking a lot of nutrients out of soil, um, we're not really uh, sequestering carbon, we're, we're being pretty, uh, you know, extractive with our operating um, uh, principles, uh, you know, we can negatively impact climate by being a positive emitter of, of greenhouse gas emissions. But in farmland, if you can also farm in a way where you actually sequester carbon and you're a negative emitter, meaning we're actually taking greenhouse gas emissions out of the atmosphere um, because land can serve as a carbon sink. Um, and so that is, to me, a super interesting circular relationship. Um, and I've long seen farmland management as a potential part of the solution for um, our, our you know, climate emergency at this point. Um, and so that's sort of how I ended up in this field then. Um, once I learned that you know, there are um, funds that have been investing in US farmland since probably the maybe the late 80s, but I think really the industry came around in the 90s, um, I thought it was just super intriguing and um, you know, I wanted to be part of the solution to making this much more accessible to not only university endowments and insurance companies and, you know, large asset managers, um, but everyday individuals um, who are just looking to better diversify their portfolio. Sure. So once you kind of made that realization, how did Farm Together actually come to be? I mean, how did you, how did you kind of build this thing and where did it come from? Uh, so my partner, who's the CEO um, and founder, uh, Artem Melanchuk, um, was speaking at a CB Insights conference in New York, uh, and a good friend of mine who knew that I was interested in the space said, you have to check this company out. Um, I was working in private equity at the time, investing in agribusinesses. Um, so still in the ag field, but um, more so around operating companies in the ag space. Um, 
So I had the opportunity to hear Artem speak and also grab a coffee with him. And what was supposed to be a, you know, a 30 minute coffee ended up being like, I think a four or five hour discussion. Um, and I really wanted to one, just learn more about his vision and um, how he came up with this amazing idea. And two, I really wanted to become a client. Um, I thought for me, this is perfect because I know I love the asset class. I understand how it works. Um, I do not have a million dollars to go buy a farm somewhere. Um, so this solved the problem for me. Um, and ultimately, Artem asked me to invest with my time uh, rather than, uh, than my capital. Um, and so I came on board uh, as a member of the founding team. Um, so that was back in the summer of 2019. Um, and then we worked on building out the rest of our team, building out our investment staff. Um, we launched our first deal shortly after. Um, and then 2020 was largely a, a year of um, just hyper growth and scale. Um, and, uh, and, you know, now in 2021, um, it's still kind of, you know, continuing uh, a lot of growth. Um, and I think now in this environment, this economic environment, post-COVID, um, stock markets at record highs. There's many very smart people who think we're going to experience inflation. And then there's other very smart people who, you know, think we could experience deflation. Long story short, no one really knows exactly what's going to happen, but I, most people can agree. It looks like public equities are, are pretty highly valued right now. Um, and, uh, you know, diversification is generally a, a pretty good strategy. So I think um, we're benefiting from um, increased investor interest in going outside the typical mainstream asset classes of public equities and public bonds and looking at alternatives like farmland to better diversify their portfolio. Oh, absolutely. I'm seeing a lot of the same stuff from, from my perspective as well. Um, speaking of kind of that hyper growth phase, how big has Farm Together grown at this point in time, whether it's the, the number of people on the team or the amount of assets or however you guys kind of measure your, your growth as a company? We have about 25 folks on the team. Um, we're largely bifurcated in, I'd say, um, a couple of different core competencies, mainly investing and technology. Um, and then we also have, um, you know, folks that bring other skills to the table. Um, we, we have a, a really wonderful design team that takes, uh, a, you know, a, I'd say a very critical look at how we're presenting our information and trying to simplify the story. Um, because for many folks, farmland is a new asset class. And so, um, you know, anytime you're asking an investor to do something new, it's a, it's a big ask um, because of course, you know, you should never invest if you don't understand what you're investing in. So you're asking someone to do homework, you're asking them to take time to learn about something new. And so we believe it's our, our duty um, to really present the information in as clean and simple as a way as possible to lower that hurdle. Um, so our design team spends a lot of time thinking about how do we, um, you know, best simplify and condense this, you know, otherwise complicated information and data um, so that it's, you know, bite-sized and, and easy to digest for our new investors. Um, and then we've done probably or close to around two dozen deals thus far. Um, and we've done deals um, both on, in the West. So in Washington, Oregon, um, California, uh, and also in Illinois. Um, so out in the West, um, our deals there are... Uh, called permanent planting. So that's when you have a permanent biological asset that you're going to depend on um, for multiple years of cash flow. So that could be an almond tree, a hazelnut tree, um, uh, a wine grape vine, uh, an apple tree. 
Um, all of those are examples of permanent commodities. Um, in Illinois, we have a couple of road crop properties. Road crops are annuals, so there is no permanent biological asset there. You replant every single year. Um, and those commodities are typically corn, soy, wheat, um, other legumes. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's our portfolio today. Um, and, you know, we, we continue to be excited by both of those regions. And we're also looking at expanding into new regions as well. Hmm. So what does the process look like for you guys of, of putting a new deal together? Like, how does it go from kind of idea to being offered on the platform? What are kind of the steps between those two kind of points? Sure. Um, so that's where our farmland team is, is doing a lot of work. Um, so we are have an automated sourcing um, process where we can see, you know, let's say a thousand properties over a short amount of time um, and eliminate many of those properties from consideration because they don't meet um, what we deem to be a, a critical criteria. So that could be water security, water rights, multiple water sources, um, the water district that the property is in, um, could be the geographic location, what operator networks um, are nearby, um, could be the microclimate of that area, the specifics of the property itself, what the grade is on the property, um, the soil quality on the property, um, the rootstock that was planted at the property, or if we're doing a development, what new varietals we would be looking to plant, um, and if those rootstock are available or not, because sometimes um, uh, newer varieties are hard to come by if you, if you want to plant soon. So we need to consider how uh, likely we would be to be able to secure that new rootstock. Um, what else do we look at? Um, we look at climate risk. Um, so we'll look at temperature and precipitation projections for that region um, and whether or not climate may be a, uh, a, either a tailwind or a headwind. Um, in some cases, I think everyone hears climate and thinks it's going to be a, you know, a, a negative risk, but in some cases, climate can actually be uh, a tailwind um, and we may have improving um, conditions for the commodity that's being grown there. So we take a look at that as well. Um, that process eliminates probably 90 to 95% of the properties that we evaluate. Um, and then of the remaining properties, our investment team will do a thorough underwriting. Um, we'll create a financial model, valuation model with our assumptions on yield for that property, um, our um, best forecast for price, um, and, and we'll see um, you know, uh, what the potential for the property looks like if we're still excited. We'll go ahead and issue uh, what's called a letter of interest to the seller. Um, and uh, if um, things continue to move forward from there, we'll enter into a contract with the seller, um, which, is called, which is a purchase and sale agreement, PSA. Um, for anyone who has bought a home, um, it's, it's almost an identical process to buying a home. Um, and so once you are signed under the PSA, you're considered to be in escrow. Um, and so once we are in escrow, that's when we will open up the opportunity for, for equity syndication on our platform. Um, then during that same escrow period, while we're syndicating the equity, we're simultaneously doing uh, confirmatory due diligence on the property. So this includes advanced tests on um, soil, water, um, title search. Um, you know, again, um, some of the same uh, due diligence that you would do if you were buying uh, a real estate property. Um, assuming confirmatory due diligence all moves forward, 
we, uh, you know, we will raise all the equity during that period. We will close on the deal. And at that point, the title transfers over into a special purpose vehicle. Um, typically, these are not very uh, creatively named. They're usually named after the deal. So if the deal is like we just had a deal called Shoemaker, um, then the title of that property would transfer into uh, Farm Together Shoemaker LLC. And all the equity investors own a um, fractional interest of Farm Together Shoemaker LLC. Um, and so if this was a $1 million equity ticket and you invested $100,000, you would own 10% of Farm Together Shoemaker LLC and you'd be eligible to receive um, or entitled to receive 10% uh, of all distributions, 10% of any depreciation reported and 10% of net proceeds from sale once we sell the property at the end of the horizon. So that's sort of how the process works. It's, um, you know, obviously it takes a, a good amount of time to go from start to finish on any given property, but, um, uh, you know, we've, we've developed a way to um, really increase the number of properties we can screen, which is wonderful because, you know, we're uncovering more and more truly exceptional properties to bring to our investors. Yeah, it sounds like that's really the one of the core things that Farm Connecticut can offer is you guys are filtering through, like you said, over thousands of different properties to, to find like the, the cream of the crop there, to, so to speak, and just kind of offering those on the platform. Now, once an investor purchases a share in, in say, Shoemaker or whatever kind of uh, project that's offered on the platform, what does that process look like for them in terms of, of time horizon, in terms of wanting to exit their position? What are kind of what should investors expect from, from Farm Together if they decide to invest through your guys' platform? Um, sure. So uh, once an investor participates, they'll get updates from us leading up to the close. And then once the property closes, they'll receive a signed certificate of ownership from us for their records. Um, and then from that point forward, they could expect quarterly communication from us. Um, our deals tend to be longer term deals. Farm, farmland is a long term asset. Um, so our average deal horizon is eight to 10 years. Um, and so for that eight to 10 year period, um, an investor can expect a quarterly update. Some quarters are going to be more quantitative. Some are going to be more qualitative. It really depends on the quarter and the calendar for that given commodity and whether we have yield data or price data to share, or um, maybe it's, you know, outside of that performance quarter and we're covering, um, you know, maybe some development that's happening on the ground or weather conditions that we've seen and what we believe that will do um, for the upcoming harvest. So. Um, we'll be in touch on at least a quarterly basis. Uh, typically for our deals, distributions tend to be annual. Um, so investors can expect to receive a cash distribution annually. Um, and that's often derived from either rental income if we're leasing the property to a tenant or operating income if we are directly operating the property um, through one of our operating partners. Um, and then at the end of the investment horizon, we will be selling the property um, and investors can expect to receive um, the net proceeds from the sale. So that would be a return of their principal investment as well as um, any appreciation that we've realized um, from the basis of, of what we um, purchased the property at. So um, that's typically the, uh, the process. And again, it's, it's a passive pass-through investment. So um, every March, our investors receive a K-1 from us um, and the K-1 will have any depreciation that's recorded that, um, that was allocated to them based on their um, fractional interest in the LLC. Um, and that will also have any distributions that were um, paid to them listed on, on the K-1. Um, and all that is always made available through our portal. So um, going back to our tech and design teams, um, they've worked very hard to create a portal where everything is available online. So an investor would never even have to speak 
with me or a member of the team, if they wanted to participate in the deal, they can go through the process from A to Z. Um, the tax documents are available for download online. Our updates are pushed um, online, so investors get notification, um, as you would on like social media, an alert comes up that you have a new update, and so you can see what the latest information on the property is. Um, so it's you know uh, we're we're always here, and we love to speak with our clients and our investors, but. Um, there are some folks who, you know, really want to be able to do everything um, through uh, through their internet browser, and um, we've built um, to support that. Um, so it's really exciting now, having gone through a full tax year, to seeing you know hundreds of K ones be posted on time on our investors' accounts. Um, so it, it's a it's a cool thing to see. That's got to be really exciting. Now, I'm curious, over the next like five to 10 years, what's kind of the, the vision for Farm Together? Like, where do you hope to be as a company uh, five, 10 years out? I think five to 10 years out, um, you know, we see farmland continuing to open up as an asset class. And we think that we have a, a part to play in that. Um, so we're going to continue to work hard to make this great asset class available for retail investors continue to bring exceptional properties to our investors um, and, um, and continue to um, work with, uh, you know, uh, different agencies and different government entities to um, hopefully craft uh, future um, uh, regulations on which investors can participate in deals. Because for now, our offerings are limited to accredited investors. Um, and, um, you know, we are looking for ways to make offerings available to all retail investors, but it is a little bit of an arduous process. And so, um, you know, there has been some, uh, discussion in Washington about, um, uh, making the definition of their broader or opening up these investment opportunities to further democratize access to alternatives. And, and we're a big believer and champion of that. So, um, hopefully we will continue to see, um, the bar lower um, because many we've spoken with so many investors who, for one reason or another, don't meet the high hurdle of being accredited, but um, understand this asset class so well and you know want farmland in their portfolio and um, you know we wish that we would be able to to better help them and so um, we also be part of our role as um, you know uh, hopefully informing and educating lawmakers as they think about. Um, you know, uh, considerations for this uh, accreditation standard and um, how to open it up to more investors. Yeah, I think that information piece is huge and, and kind of bouncing off of that, what is, what's a piece of information that you think all kind of potential farmland investors should, should have in mind before they kind of dive into the asset class? Like what is an area that you see a lot of people not kind of knowing about where they should before kind of getting started? I would say, um, you know, understanding the historical performance of an asset class is always important. So understanding, you know, what are the typical returns for a farmland portfolio? What's typical volatility? Um, how are returns generated? So knowing whether it's, uh, so again, we're, we're in the real estate family. So there's two return streams. One is income, the other is appreciation. Um, knowing whether the income is being derived from rent. Um, so there's a contract in place or whether income is being derived from operations. Um, and typically if it's from operations, that's going to be a higher yielding opportunity because there is more risk since there's more variance in um, factors that are harder to control like yield and price. Um, whereas in a rental agreement, um, you have a fair amount of certainty on 
um, what your um, cash yield is going to be barring a, any sort of um, counterparty credit event. Um, so I think those are the basics. And then I also think understanding that this is a, a long-term investment. Um, you know, we, uh, we do offer secondaries. Um, so we can facilitate early liquidity for investors, um, but we can't guarantee that's on a best efforts basis. So we, and also we believe that the best performance in this asset class comes after holding it for a longer period of time and, and being able to realize that appreciation. Um, and so we always recommend to investors looking to participate in our deals, um, only move forward in the deal if you're comfortable um, with the stated uh, deal horizon, whether that's seven years, eight years, 10 years. Um, those would be, uh, I think, the basics that I would certainly recommend. And um, we actually have a white paper that we uh, have available for download. Um, and I always point our, uh, our new first-time investors in farming to that white paper um, because it does a nice job of synthesizing a lot of that information. Perfect. I'll be sure to link that up as well. Um, any uh, bouncing off of that, any myths in particular that you think uh, first-time farmland investors should be aware of, or that you want to kind of debunk here as well? Yeah, certainly. Um, lots of myths. I think um, there's one myth that um, conventional farming is um, inherently destructive um, to you know uh, to the surrounding environment. Um, you know, we're firmly in the belief that even conventional farming can be done sustainably. Um, so we are um, a, uh, an ardent supporter of a standard called the leading harvest standard. Um, and it's a broad set of sustainability criteria, 13 different principles ranging from soil and water conservation um, to fair labor um, and many others as well. And um, we've enrolled 100% of our acres in this comprehensive standard. Um, what we appreciate about leading harvest unlike some other standards is that um, in order to be compliant and to be leading harvest certified, um, the program requires a third party auditor um, to evaluate your properties and sign off on conformance to the standard, um, which in our view is a game changer. Um, you know, it's, it makes sustainability uh, as significant and serious as, you know, if you were going to have a, a financial audit. Um, and so um, it also forces uh, better uh, metric keeping and reporting on the manager side, since you're going to have to keep track of your baseline and report these metrics to the auditor. Um, so we are thrilled to be uh, a participant to have 100% of our acres um, enrolled in that program. And not all of our properties are certified organic. Not all of our properties um, are um, you know, transitioning to organic. We, we do have some conventional properties in our portfolio um, but those properties too will still be held to the leading harvest standards. So um, I think one myth is that, you know, conventional agriculture is um, just inherently destructive. And, and I think there are certainly ways where you can farm conventionally um, and still be doing, um, you know, good for the environment. And so we're very committed to, um, to that. I would say another big myth is that most farmland in the United States is owned by mega corporation agribusinesses. Um, I think um, most, most individuals don't realize that only two to 3% of all farmland in the United States is owned by uh, investors. Um, the vast majority is owned by private individuals and families. Um, and so it's a very fractional market. And if you think of US history, um, between the Homestead Act, um, 
and um, plantations in the South and ranches in the West. Um, you know, farmland in, in, in the U.S. Has, has very much been a generational asset. It's been confined to typically estates and, and families um, and transferred from one generation to another. Um, and by virtue of that, there are actually very few farms in the, in the United States that are quite large. Um, you know, the average farm is, um, I forget the figure, but uh, maybe around a thousand acres. Um, whereas if you look at a country like Brazil, um, their average farm size is, is probably an order of magnitude above that. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, do, we don't have, uh, I would say we don't have the industrialized um, agricultural market that some folks perceive us to have. Um, we actually are a pretty fractional uh, market. Um, so those would be two of the biggest myths. And I guess one last myth I would say um, is that, you know, that farmland or agriculture is a, is a, um, a very volatile asset class. And that, you know, one thing I hear is some investors will say, oh, I just saw, you know, in, a, in the Wall Street Journal that farmers are going bankrupt in, you know, some part of the United States. Um, and unfortunately, it's true that some farmers are experiencing um, tough times and, and um, uh, but as, as in any industry and, you know, multifamily real estate and commercial real estate, um, there's going to be, uh, unfortunately, individuals who um, are not performing or, you know, are having uh, credit trouble. Um, the farmland that we look at, these are, you know, top tier properties. Um, and I would, you know, I would say that, um, you know, the, the volatility of returns um, now, if it's a direct operating mark, uh, model, there could be a little bit more variance coming down or depending on price and yield. But at the end of the day, you have this underlying asset that's appreciating over time, um, that's been um, strongly uh, um, followed inflation as a hedge, um, that's uncorrelated to major market indices. Um, and at the end of the day, like there's a real asset there. Um, there this isn't an intangible that we're talking about. So. I think the last myth, you know, is this concept of um, farmland being um, a very risky asset class um, or an esoteric or new asset class. That's my favorite. This is a new asset class. Um, farmland has been around since since we've been here, so th there's nothing new to this. I'd argue it's probably the oldest asset class. Um, so uh, yeah, those would be the three big ones that come to mind. Very, very insightful for, for a lot of new investors out there. I would imagine a lot of that is kind of new information, especially the um, the whole kind of big farm uh, aspect to it. I think a lot of people that I talked about farmland, at least, have this this conception that that most farmland is just owned by these large companies, Monsanto and all these other guys. And and so that, that kind of puts a negative spin in a lot of people's minds when, when they think about investing in farmland. But it's really good to know that that's not necessarily the case the majority of the time. That's right. Yep. Cool. Well, uh, before we wrap up, I, I'm curious, what is is a, an area that you're kind of excited about when it comes to farmland investing over over the next kind of duration here? Like, what are some new things that you see emerging, or just kind of like trends that you are excited about, whether at Farm Together or elsewhere? Certainly, um, I think you know a, a couple of things. We've done several deals now um, with really wonderful partners, and you know, I'll, I'll highlight one. Um, one of our partners in the Apple space, um, Stemel is a large grower, um, and we recently did a large um, investment with them. Uh, it was about a $22 million deal overall um, to uh, develop some of the very first organic cosmic crisp apples in the United States. 
Um, so we're very excited about Cosmic Crisp as an apple variety. Um, it's, uh, it was just introduced to the market a year ago, um, so it's very new, but um, it's a superior varietal. Um, it, you know, it's been developed to have excellent um, uh, resistance to you know, various stressors from temp to precipitation to pests. Um, and the flavor profile is, uh, I mean, of course, that's all up to the individual, but many people have agree that it's, it's very uh, tasty. Um, and it was very much um, designed to be uh, the next generation of Honeycrisp. Um, and so uh, we're very excited about that bridal and also working with Stamel um, on future Apple deals. Um, we think it's a, it's a really interesting market. Um, we're also very excited about regenerative agriculture. Um, there's a new certification that recently was launched called Regenerative Organic Certification, um, which in many ways or in some ways is a step beyond uh, organic certification. Um, but we see an ecosystem developing around, again, going back to carbon sequestration, farmland management, um, not only uh, not only encouraging more of these practices to occur, um, but uh, making in, uh, creating economic incentives for these pr uh, practices to occur. So we're seeing um, better solutions for farmers and, and operators to track um, how many tons of carbon they can they can demonstrate were sequestered. Um, once you can reliably um, track that data and report it, then you can um, have a better process for generating carbon credits and selling those carbon credits and creating an alternate uh, revenue stream for farmers, growers, and operators. Um, and we're seeing that ecosystem um, really start to develop um, in a very rapid way. And so we're very excited about that. Um, we hope to be a very uh, active um, uh, participant in that market. Uh, and we are actively working on bringing uh, regenerative deals to our investors. Very exciting things indeed. Well, David, if listeners want to follow up with you and learn more about Farm Together, potentially invest, where is the best place for us to direct them to? Uh, our website, farmtogether.com, has a ton of information. Uh, once you create an account, you can access our learning center, um, download our white paper, and find more resources there. Um, and I'm also more than happy to help anyone um, who's new to the space or interested and has questions. Um, and they can reach out to me directly at david at farmtogether.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I'll have all of those links in the show notes for our listeners. Um, I really appreciate you joining us today. Any final thoughts you want to share with the audience before we head out? Uh, I have to quote Mark Twain and say, by farmland, they're uh, not making any more of it. So that's my final thought. <laughs> Love it. It's a very apt quote. So I appreciate you leaving us with that. David, again, thank you for your time. It has been a pleasure. Likewise, Apple. Thanks so much.